It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, you know, nobody walks into the baptistry by themselves, do they? Nobody does. Nobody walks into the baptistry by themselves. And I don't mean uh, just in the spiritual sense, like God goes with us into the baptistry. I don't mean that at all. I, I mean, like, we no, none of us who have, have come to know the, the death, burial, and resurrection and the partnership with Jesus that happens uh, around the waters of baptism, none of us go there on our own. It's a journey. And when we exit the baptistry and we begin our life with Jesus and we begin following him, uh, none of us do that on our own either, do we? No, no, we, we need older people. We need more mature people every step of the way because we recognize that there's a, there's a generation ahead of us and a generation behind us. And if there's a generation behind you this morning, then I want you to know whether you're 10 years old and there's a generation coming up behind you or you're 100 years old and there are many generations behind you that, that, that you need to invest your life in who's to come. Because none of us do it on our own. None of us enter a baptistry by ourselves. None of us walk through this life with Jesus on our own. And there is a very profound movie that I've seen recently that really displays the kind of generational investment that I want to talk about this morning. So take a look at this Pixar film. I don't know what it is about that that gets me every time. I wanted to be a racer. Why? Because of you. And he recognizes that he had never seen it. But now it was his time not to race anymore, but to invest in somebody else. To look at the generation that was behind him and give him their shot. Church, I want to challenge you this morning. 
I want you to store your legacy in someone else's destiny. I want you to take your life. I want you to take your dreams. I want you to take the legacy that is yours, that you've worked hard for. I want you to take your faith, and I want you to take all the things that you have expressed in that faith, and I want you to to wrap it all up in a nice big box and put a big bow on it. I want that to be your legacy, but not just for you. I want you to take your legacy and invest it in someone else's destiny. You see, we have been walking through this series, haven't we? And and it's been a lot of fun. We have, have just looked at so many different pressure points. And, and really, the, the whole purpose behind this series is that as we gather as Christians on a Sunday morning to say, hey, uh, we recognize that we are all going to face pressure points. It's not a matter of if pressure comes. It's a matter of when pressure comes. And when pressure comes, am I going to respond the way Christ would have me to respond? And we have, we have just walked through the life of David looking at the pressure points that he had in his own life, and we have looked at our, ourselves and our church and said, hey, how is it that we need to respond as followers of Jesus when the pressure points in our life come to visit us? And we've learned pretty quickly that this is kind of a put up or shut up kind of a series, that this is kind of one of those where we say, hey, this is the rubber meets the road as a Christian that I'm not talking about being a Christian, that I am being a Christian, that I'm doing Christian things, that I'm acting in a Christian way, that I'm living the holy life that God would have me to live. And we have walked through a number of these pressure points. And this morning, uh, the pressure is on all of us, if we have a generation behind us, to invest in them, to take our legacy, to store our legacy in someone else's destiny. Not for ourselves, but for them. We find David this morning at the very end of his life. At the very end of his life, he gathers up all the people. He gathers up all the leaders and all the other, uh, uh, you know, all the other pieces of royalty, all the other rulers, all the other mighty men, all the warriors, uh, all of the officials. uh, Everybody was there. I mean, it was kind of a state of the union sort of address, and there is David, and, and he's, he's giving a speech, and he's letting everybody understand the vision of what's going to come in the future. And as he does that, as he kind of lets everybody in on the vision that's going to come, uh, he taps his son Solomon on the shoulder, and he passes the baton, and he passes the torch on. Now, David had had an up and down kingdom, but uh, in the end, everything was going really well, actually. He had brought a kingdom from around 6,000 square miles to around 60,000 square miles. For the most part, Israel, under, at, his, at his end, when David ends his 40-year reign as king, he, he has established peace in Israel. He has largely subdued all of the, the enemies of Israel all around him, and, and he is going to, to look to Solomon to, to take it bravely into the future. And here he is uh, taking Solomon to the side in front of everybody and says, hey, ev- hey everybody, look, I'm, I'm passing the torch on. 
And what we're going to see this morning is that David takes his legacy. He stores his legacy in someone else's destiny, in Solomon's destiny. So if you're at all interested this morning, if you're at all convinced that perhaps if there's, a, if there's a generation that is behind you and you think you have a role to play in that, then I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles with me and walk through together how it is that we come to store our legacy in someone else's destiny. Turn your Bibles with me, would you please, to First Chronicles. I know some of you never thought that there was ever going to be a sermon in Chronicles, but it's there. We believe the whole Bible is God's Word, so we're going to open up to 1 Chronicles this morning in chapter 28. So if you've been with us, 1 and 2 Samuel, and then 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. So it's still in the Old Testament, still at the very beginning portion of your Bible, and uh, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, and chapter 28. If you get to 2 Chronicles, you've gone, gone too far. If you need a Bible, by the way, let me just tell you to grab one and take one home with you. Uh, it's not stealing. We want you to have God's Word in your home. We want it to, to rest in your heart. And if uh, it means taking a pew Bible home with you so that you can read it uh, and ask questions and observe it and hide it in your heart, then that's what we want you to do. First Chronicles chapter 28. It's really interesting to me that as I think about uh, how it is that I'm going to go about uh, storing my legacy in someone else's destiny, uh, I think about the, the, the people behind me, the generation behind me, and I often want to predict who God's going to use. Have you ever done that? I mean, you look at someone, uh, they're a generation behind you, and you begin to, to like predict how their future is going to go. Let me tell you, that's a futile effort. Your job is not to pick who God will use in the future. Your job is to invest your legacy of faith in them. That's your job. Notice that we cannot predict who God will use in the future. Check this out. It's the craziest thing, especially if you've been with us. You recognize that Solomon is Bathsheba's son. Look at verse 5. Of all my sons. And the text says, And the Lord has given me many. Many scholars believe David has about 20 or so sons. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. You can't really predict this sort of stuff, can you? You see, if you're going to invest your legacy, you're going to store your legacy of faith in, in the destiny of someone else, then you can't predict the future. Your job is simply to go after the next generation and say, I'm going to plant a legacy of faith in you. I'll let God take care of the rest. 
If you know some of this story, you know uh, that, that years before this particular occurrence, uh, David, he was up on his rooftop, he sees Bathsheba, he comes, he eventually uh, commits an adulterous affair with this woman, it leads him to murder, and all sorts of other bad things happen in his life. And eventually, Solomon becomes the second born between Bathsheba and David. And David's got all these other sons, and yet God uh, somehow, some way, looks at Solomon and says, yep, that's, that's the one right there. It's nothing any of us would have imagined the story could possibly go. We would never have predicted it would have been Solomon. And it's interesting that, that Solomon's name means peace. Of all the turmoil, of all the chaos that has surrounded David's life with his, his sin with Bathsheba, God chooses him and his name means peace. And God is going to be with this one. We never would have predicted that, would we? Years ago, years ago, I was a youth minister in Ottawa. We used to do this thing after school on Wednesday afternoons. It was called Treehouse Gang. It wasn't a very holy name, I know, but you know, you're, you're trying to come up with something. And we would pull up in our 16-passenger van and pile in as many kids as we could have outside of the school every Wednesday afternoon, and we'd get all of these kids, and it was just Joe Lynn and I. And sometimes there'd be 30 or 40 kids, and we're just, we're just going, <coughs> <coughs> don't do that in the middle of a sermon. I mean, it is chaos. We're trying to like teach them about Jesus, you know, and walk them through the Bible and help them know who Jesus is, all these really good things. And there was one particular kid who was a living holy terror. And some of you know who he is. His name was Cody Dean. And everybody's going, oh. You see, Cody's from here. I mean, Cody was not a good kid. I'm just telling you. You know what Cody does today? You know what he does? He's a youth minister. And he's devoted his life to helping the generation behind him. He has taken a legacy of faith that he... He grew up into somehow, in some way, and he's investing in the destiny of the generation that's behind him. You know what? If I had to choose, if I had to predict, Cody wasn't going to be that kid. <laughs> but you know what? That's not my job. My job wasn't to try and go, well, that's the one. This will be the one that God uses. No, no. My job was simply to be faithful. Church, you don't have to go about trying to 
to find the one. You don't have to go about trying to predict who God is going to use in the future. That's God's job. You let God do God things. You do the things that God has asked you to do. You love God and you obey his commands. You invest in the the legacy of people coming after you and you let him handle the rest. You just be faithful. Because nobody was guessing that David was going to tap Solomon on the shoulder. Nobody could have guessed that that God was going to say, yep, Solomon's going to be my man. If you want to take and store up your legacy of faith in someone else's destiny and a generation behind you, can I also suggest that you need to pray for them? I mean, it can't, just, it can't be any better, can it? I mean, here we are. I have had this, uh, this series planned for months. I had no idea that Brenda, our, our children's pastor, I had no idea that, that Brenda was going to say, hey, you know what? I think it's a really great idea if we have adult uh, followers of Jesus uh, praying for students in our ministry. I had zero idea. And yet here we are, uh, through this series going, hey, uh, one of the pressure points in life is how is it that we take a legacy of faith and, and, and we store that up for the destiny of someone else's faith? And in 1 Chronicles 29, if you flip over just one chapter, uh, David is praying, and he's praying for all of Israel, and there's a point where he begins to turn, and he looks at Solomon, and look what it says, verse 18, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, uh, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, your statutes, decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. He's talking about the temple. You know what David's doing? He's praying for his son. He's going, God, God, would you please be with my son? Would you help him to be wholehearted in devotion to you? Would you hide that word into his hearts and help him to, to know all of your commands, your statutes, your decrees, all the things that you would have him to obey? Would he obey? Oh, and as a father, I can so identify with this. Oftentimes, I'll walk into my children's rooms and I'll pray for them and I'll, I'll look at them just so silent and cute laying there and I'll, and I'll just pray, Lord, I pray that they will love you forever. Because if you and I have lived in the world very long, you know uh, that there are things for which our children will have to be, well, they're going to face their pressures of their own, aren't they? There's going to be things that Satan knows in their life, and he's going to bring, he, he's going to bring the temptation. He is going to bring the pressure. He's going to bring the hurdles. And you know what? Maybe we just need to begin to pray for the next generation, a legacy of faith, and say, Lord, would you help them to love you forever? Would they be wholehearted in their devotion? Would they be whole people for you? Would they obey you in all of your commands? And Lord, how can I help you do that? 
And maybe it's the kid down the street from you, and maybe it's the kid over in the Kidman area, and maybe it's the kid you're sitting next to, and maybe it's the kid in your home. Uh, but, but if you are here and there's a generation behind you, then I want you to seriously think about how you can begin to pray for those who are behind you. That you might say, I have this legacy of faith. I don't want it to die with me. I am willing to store the legacy of faith that I have gained over the years and invested in the destiny of someone else that's standing behind me. David prays for his son. If you want to store a legacy in someone else's destiny, then you gotta pray. But it doesn't stop with prayer. No, 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 it doesn't stop with prayer at all. David, David's gonna do more than just pray for his son. In fact, David is going to do what all of us need to do. See, David uh, understands that he has to call, uh, he has to challenge Solomon to a really high level. He challenges Solomon to raise his game. And people, church, if you're more mature than someone else here, then maybe you can challenge them to raise their life, to raise the level of their faith. And maybe that's with another child. Maybe that's with a husband or a wife. Uh, maybe that's with a neighbor. But if there's someone standing behind you and you have a legacy to share, invest, store it in the destiny of someone else. Notice how David does this. Back into chapter 28 now. And in chapter 28, David, in all of his wisdom, David's going to make sure that, that Solomon is challenged. Solomon is going to have to raise his gain. So look in verse 8. He says, So I now charge you in the sight of all of Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on in the inheritance of your descendants. And he turns to Solomon and he says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the Lord of your father and serve him wholeheartedly with devotion, with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. And if you seek him, he will be found in you, but if you forsake him, He'll reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. He's challenging Solomon, isn't he? And he doesn't make any bones about it. He says, hey, I, you need to acknowledge God and you need to serve him. And if you don't, he's going to leave you. And it's not just for a little while. It's going to be forever. You better consider this the next time you make any decisions. You're going to be the king. And so I want you to raise the level of your life. Church, we need to get way better at this. We need to wrap our arms around the generation that's come after us. We need to take our legacy and store it in the destiny of someone else. We need to take what we've learned about our faith and about the Bible and, 
And we need to unashamedly look in the eyes of the next generation and lovingly say, hey, you have to do this. You have to acknowledge the Lord. You have to obey His commands. You have to love Him. I, I, I loved it as I worked through these passages, verses really 9 through 10. Uh, I looked at the words that David says to his son Solomon, and you can begin to pick up the words of another son of David, Jesus, later on when he says to all of his followers, he said, no, you really have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And unashamedly, folks, it's time that we challenge the next generation to live a high calling. But we can't let them try and do that alone. We can't just look at them and say, hey, you, you got to do this. Acknowledge God. Obey His commands. I'm going to go do something else, but good luck. You see, David doesn't just challenge him. He doesn't just say, hey, uh, uh, you need to, to, to live to this standard of your life. He doesn't just say, this is faith. Good luck. Uh, he doesn't just say, uh, you know, I've made some, uh, some mistakes over the years, but I've tried to love God. He doesn't just say that. Uh, he begins to live it. And this is where things get a little dicey for us. Because he doesn't just talk with his mouth. He, he talks with his hands and his heart. And he allows his boots to walk, you know. Because David equips him. And he personally invests so that the stage is set for Solomon to do amazing things. Look at verse 11, would you? Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of the atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and for all the work of the serving in the temple of those serving in the temple of the Lord as well as for all of the articles to be used in its service. Look down, would you, in verse 19, it kind of concludes this whole idea. He says, all this, David said, I have in writings as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. If you look down again in verse tw uh, chapter 29, it says, uh, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Uh, but notice what he says, The task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord. With all of my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. And it begins to go and describe all the things that God has done for his son, or that, that David does for his son. You see, he doesn't just challenge him, does he? He doesn't just say, Solomon, now acknowledge God. Good luck. He sits down. Can you imagine? And he rolls out the blueprints and he says, Solomon, Solomon, come on over here. You see this? You see this, Solomon? Now this is the plan. Here's the blueprints, son. Now, I want you to see this because God has given it to me, and I want, you, I, I, I want to give you everything that you need to make this happen. 
And he begins to, to look over all of the little pieces of the temple. And he says, oh, and you know what I've done for you? I've organized all the workers. And I've organized the, the priests. And, I, and I've, I've given you all the stuff that you're going to need. And, and, and just so that you know that I'm, I've got your back, uh, that I'm, I'm supporting you fully, that I'm here to equip you, I want you to know, Solomon, uh, that I'm given a little bit of my own pocket money. And, and quite frankly, it was a little more than a little pocket money. He says, I'm giving the full treasury behind you because I believe in you. He doesn't just challenge him and say, hey, go, go off, live a great legacy of faith, be committed to the Lord. He says, no, I'm, I'm going to give you everything in my storehouse. I'm going to store my legacy in someone else's destiny, and Solomon, that's going to be you. When it comes to the next generation, you have a choice to make. And it's a hard choice, so I don't want you to, to make this choice without thinking through what you're saying. When it comes to storing our legacy in someone else's destiny, you have a choice. And, and, and there really are a couple of them. One is this. Will I complain or will I collaborate? Will I complain or will I co collaborate? Oh, if you have a generation that's behind you, there's probably plenty to, to complain about, isn't there? I mean, we could walk right down through the generations that are in this room. We probably have five or six or seven or eight. I don't know. There's a bunch of generations sitting right here in this room. And I bet if we sat down and said, hey, let's just put a, a big post-it note up on the wall and let's start complaining about those who are after us. Do you think we could come up with a list? Oh, I bet we could. Oh, I know the generation after you is probably they're, they're not experienced enough and they don't have enough patience and maybe they, they're lazy and, 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 and maybe you think the generation that comes after you, their music's too loud and they have too many tattoos and, and they don't dress like I used to dress when I used to go to church. And does, Do your complaints sound anything like that? Now you have... Praise God. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Oh, but we can. We can really begin to rail on the generation that stands after us, or we can do as David did, and we can actually begin to collaborate with the next generation, and we can begin to rub shoulders with them. And when we rub shoulders with them, we might actually begin to find that they're not quite so bad after all. That maybe they have a little more to offer than we thought they had to offer. That maybe, maybe the next generation has something to teach me. You see, David doesn't just say, Solomon, go, go off and acknowledge God. He comes beside him and he says, hey, I want to I show you the plan. And he begins to collaborate with Solomon. 
Church, what I'm challenging you to today is not easy, and so I, I don't want you to take that question of whether you're going to complain or whether you're going to collaborate lightly, because if you say, I'm not going to complain, I'm going to collaborate, then your feet better begin to walk toward the next generation. You better begin to embrace the next generation. Uh, you better begin to say, I'm not going to allow anything to stand in my way anymore, and that leads to the second question, because we can always make an excuse as to why we don't want to or why we can't. And so the question is, am I going to make an excuse or am I going to equip? We have all sorts of excuses that we could make, don't we? And we probably at one point or another all used one of them. If it comes to engaging our legacy of faith in the next generation, oftentimes our excuse is what? I'm too old. I'm too out of touch. I'm too inexperienced. I'm too... You fill in the blank. I'm too what? Can I challenge you that perhaps your faith needs to grow a little bit more than in order to have a legacy worth having? That your faith needs to grow to the extent that you are willing to store that legacy in someone else's destiny. You see, oftentimes we look to get from the next generation. Maybe it's time, church, where we give to the next generation. Where we begin to say, my legacy of faith is large enough that I can share it, that I can move past any excuse, and I will look to equip the next generation in their faith. And be open to what they have to teach me. And maybe some of you are scared out of your wits right now. You don't even know where to begin. And if you don't know where to begin, maybe it begins on your knees. And you go, Lord, would you place somebody on my heart or my life uh, that I might look to engage in a legacy for them. Not for me, but for them. And if you don't want to start there, that's fine. Why don't you go to Jed, our, our youth pastor, or to Brenda, our children's pastor, and why don't you begin to talk with them about the kind of students that they have in their ministry and where you might be able to be involved, where you could rub shoulders with someone, where you could begin to say, hey, you know what, I don't know everything there is to know about living life, but I'm willing to share whatever it is that God gives me, and I'm willing to give it instead of get something. Church, are you willing to store your legacy in someone else's destiny? And it's not just a matter of not making excuses and, and equipping. There's something else that David does. You know, sometimes in life we need to make sure that we catch him doing something right. You know that? Sometimes we need to look behind us to the generation that's following and we need to make sure that we find him doing something right. At the end of all of this, David really looks at his son Solomon and he gives him some encouragement. In verse 20 of chapter 28, he says, David says to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous, son, and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. And he will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Church, if there's a generation behind you 
Find them doing something right. Encourage them. Find them. Love them. Tell them they're doing a good job. Tell them that God is with them. You know, I've shared this many, many times, but I'm going to share it again because it's good. You know what I tell my kids all the time? Like almost every day? God's going to do big things with you. God's got something planned for you. And do I know all the plans of God for them? No, but I do know that God's got something in store for them. That's not hard. But you can find him doing something right. Man, God is doing great things in you. You know, it is amazing to watch you work and see God doing uh, amazing things in you. You know, the other day, uh, I, uh, uh, I have a daughter. Her name is Lydia. And, uh, and the other day, uh, I was just, uh, you know, convinced. I, so I, I, I handed her uh, this reading plan, a reading plan for the Bible, uh, it was short, and I, I said, hey, why don't you take a look at this? I, I gave her a calendar, and here's some chapters to read out of the Bible. You want to know the crazy thing? She did it. Hey, you know what? It's not rocket science, gang. It's not. You don't have to be somebody special. You don't have to have a, uh, a degree or go to a Bible college to do this. You just have to be faithful. And you have to find the next generation and encourage them in the Lord and say, hey, you know what? You're reading your Bible. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. And you know where all this ends? All this ends for Solomon. This fantastic result in chapter 29 And in verse 23, so Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. And he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him, and all the officials and warriors as well as all of King David's sons pledged their submission to King Solomon. And the Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel had ever seen before. Church, it's time for you today. Not tomorrow, today. To store your legacy in someone else's destiny. You know what? I know who those people are in my life. There was a guy by the name of Marvin E. He was a youth pastor, and, and I preached my first sermon. You know why? I was 13 years old. I didn't know the first thing about preaching. I really didn't know the first thing about the Bible, if I'm honest with you. But you know what? For a youth Sunday, he says, Mike! I want you to preach this Sunday. Uh, and there's a large part of that. Here I am, standing in front of a bunch of people, trying to open God's word. And 
handed out. Oh yeah, there were others. There's, there's uh, Shane Wood who, who mentored me in college and was like a father to me. Uh, then I went to seminary and there was a guy by the name of, of Bob Lowry and Paul Boatman who did my ordination service. And do, I, do I need to go on? Who are your people? Who gave you a legacy? Who stored their legacy of faith so that you could live your destiny of faith? Who was that for you? You know why I preach and teach? You know why I do what I do in my life? Because someone else was willing to store their legacy in my destiny. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. And I pray for all those in the room, and I pray that as we are, are itching to, to figure out what you would have us do, Lord, I pray that no person leaves unchanged. I pray that if we are not giving ourselves over to folks of the next generation, Lord, I pray that you would pierce our hearts again and again and again until we move. I pray there would be no excuse so large. I pray there would be no wall so, uh, so, uh, so thick that you would not plow us through it. Lord, I pray that we would not complain. I pray that we would not make excuse. I pray, Lord, uh, that we would enlarge our faith and we would begin to collaborate as you would have us do with the next generation. And Lord, I pray that the legacy of faith that you provide for us, Lord, that we would store that up in the destiny of the next generation. Lord, as we feel the pressure of actually engaging, may you convict us. May you help us not to run away. And we pray this in Jesus' name.